Hello and welcome to another episode of Soccer Roundtable. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus due to some difficulties, and we're still having some of sorts, so I apologize for the uh, audio quality levels as they are not to our usual standards due to our microphone malfunctioning, but that's okay. We are here with you, and we got a ton of news today as we're joining you on the last day before the last day of September. I mean, August. Yeah, let's put it that way. Oh, well, it's August 30th. That's all you need to know. It's a Wednesday. We have all your soccer news from the lower divisions. Breaking news in the NISA today. But first of all, let's go to our new format for the Soccer Roundtable podcast. We'll have a weekly podcast on Wednesdays. Be a little bit longer than you're used to. We'll have, of course, interviews as always. We had a great interview today with the with uh, Peter Murphy of the Massive Report. He covers the Columbus Crew and for uh, SB Nation website. So that was an awesome interview. We talked about the crew for a little while and then some other MLS topics. That was a lot of fun. You'll hear that a little bit later. But first, we're going to dive into our um, topics we have. We have a lot of Chattanooga FC stuff, a lot of NISA stuff, third division soccer. We have some NPSL stuff. We have some USL stuff. It's getting really interesting in the USL Eastern Conference as the race to the uh, finish line continues. Uh, Charlotte Independence had an interesting weekend, but let's dive into all that starting now. So the NISA, the Division Three League sanctioned by um, the United States Soccer Association will be a professional league. And so they have eight teams that are ready for that are supposedly ready for 2018, even though they are. There is word on the street that 2019, they might have to push it back to due to team's readiness, but some of the eight cities that are interested are Chattanooga, Omaha, Connecticut, and some others. Uh, Miami um, and St. Louis also are in the discussion. So, uh, we do know Chattanooga FC, the NPSL club, is uh, the ownership group connected for Chattanooga. We know that um they are going to have, keep their MPSL team, as announced by their co-founder, replying to one of Soccer Roundtable's tweets. By the way, you can follow Soccer Roundtable at SOCC Roundtable on the Twitter sphere. They confirmed that. But, you know, they want to get the 24 teams total in a few years, but they're going to start out with eight in their first season, whether that's 2018 or 19. We did have, I have some sources that are saying it's very, very reasonable that 2018 is still a possibility from what they're hearing so that will be interesting to see how it all plays out in that case scenario um you know with the usl starting their division three league in 2019 you know you think they would want to get a head start but you know chattanooga uh, fc they have an npsl club they have a women's club they're very successful they have the largest amateur attendance in history of 18,000 people for a um playoff match two seasons ago in the npsl very, very successful club. They've had one of the best goalkeepers in amateur soccer in Gregory Hartley, who's in England right now playing for an England team. You know, he was a fan favorite for Chattanooga. It'd be interesting to see if he could, you know, somewhat come back at Chattanooga. That'd be very, very cool for their fans. Don't know if that'll happen, but that'll be a fun thing to see if that works out. There are, of course, some other names. You know, uh, Finley, he plays for Chattanooga to see if he signs a professional contract. And some other uh, Chattanooga ICFC alumni that might want to make a return back to the club and, you know, really get their fan base engaged to uh, Chattanooga FC 
and that'll be a really fun thing for them. I know the other markets, you think Connecticut, they don't really have a soccer team, and Division Three is really a way to enter the professional realm of soccer. They did host the U.S. Men's National Team game, a Gold Cup game a little while ago, and they had a great showing, great attendance. You know, people really came out and supported the uh, men's national team. So I think Connecticut's interesting choice. Miami has always been trying to get an MLS team, and I think if they go Division Three route, they already have a professional and ASL team. So seeing how they, um, you know, support two teams will be interesting. And you know, if MLS does come to Miami, they'll really hurt both of those teams. So I don't know how uh, long that can sustain down there in Miami. And St. Louis, they really, really support. Uh, Louisville SC, they got their first sellout of like, 18,000 people the other week when they're playing in the USL for Louisville City SC. But, yeah, at, yeah, and another team down there can only benefit them more. Milwaukee is another untapped territory when it comes to the soccer realm. I think, you know, Charlotte was in the bid also. They have Charlotte FC after their MLS bid kind of failed and trying to revamp that. Another uh, professional soccer bid can see how the city can really sustain and support another soccer club would be beneficiary. They're trying to play Memorial Stadium, which is uh, the same stadium that they were talking about renovating for MLS. That was in the talks and possibilities in that. So you're seeing that that club may morph into a MLS club later down the road. That's just complete speculation by me, but that is something that could happen later on down the road. Now, let's talk in um, USL. The Independents did drop a game recently, and they fell back, or they were tied with Louisville City for the lead in the uh, United States Soccer League. So, in the United Soccer League. So, that was interesting. You know, Charlotte, they took the lead from the battery. The battery are struggling right the camp scene to score goals. All their Lance United players on loan aren't playing as well as you would think they would be right now. They're kind of um, not in good form at the moment, so we'll see how that works out. Uh, Charlotte, their two scores, Enzo Martinez has really cooled off of late, and you know for for them to really get back in good form, I think he has to be their key. They have a great goalkeeper. He's uh, he stepped up. He hasn't been the one that has let them down recently in their losing streak, but they're, both teams are tied with 44 points with 23 games played um, for Louisville City, and Charlotte has actually played two more games at 25, so Louisville has the upper hand when it comes to games played, and so that will really benefit them later down the road, and it looks like Louisville will take the lead in the Eastern Conference for a while to come. Uh, Charlotte really needs to put on the uh, gears and turn up a little bit. They need to get some wins. Draws are not acceptable when it comes down to these last matches. And our um, writer for SoccerRoundTable.net had a great article on the Charlotte Independence uh, loss to Toronto FC2. Toronto FC2 is a really struggling team in the USL. And that is definitely not a game you can drop points to. Uh, when you're in a play, when you're in a push for the top spot, and TFC two has really been a pain in Charlotte's uh, tail this entire season, and to see that they get another big result against Charlotte is just you know upsetting for the Independence fans, and 
I can totally see why. I mean, TFC is a team that you really should beat, and you should beat pretty badly. They're a MLS reserve team. There's not a lot of resources being put in TFC, too. They don't have the talent that a lot of other USL teams have, and they definitely don't have the fan base. This is a team you really do not want to lose to. It's kind of, you know, an embarrassment of sorts. Well, let's move over to MLS. Um, let's look at the table and the MLS, and we talked to the Columbus Crews, so we're not really going to... Um, Thomas Crew Rider, so I'm not going to break down the crew's spot in the standings as they're in third place in the table until later on in the podcast when we talk to Patrick Murphy. But let's look at your top six spots. Your six teams above the red line are TFC, NYCFC, Columbus, Chicago, the New York Red Bulls, and Atlanta. Atlanta has really skidded of late, and so has Chicago as Atlanta. You know, dropped their last match. DC United, they dropped nine points to them the entire season. DC swept the season series with three wins, which is, you know, DC is a team that's really, really bad, but especially to RFK, they just seem to shut Atlanta United down. And Atlanta United really cannot get an attack going against them. It's really just their style of play. And we saw a revamped DC United team as last time they played, they made so many moves in the transfer window. They, one of them was moving Bobby Boswell down to Atlanta. So you did see a completely, lots of new faces in D.C. And they and Atlanta lost that own goal, which seems to be you know, D.C.'s weapon of choice, the old own goal. It's not really winning games, just staying games long enough for other teams to make mistakes. And Atlanta uh, lost themselves the uh, other night in D.C. And then they got a 2-2 draw against Philadelphia Union, a team that's pretty good, actually. Philadelphia is not a team that you want to, um, that's not going to roll over easily. Late in the game, uh, Tyrone Mears, the uh, a rebound came to him, and he just headed the ball into the back of the net from about the 18-yard box, where the goalkeeper was off his line. But let's talk about the Red Bull. I mean, so first of all, Atlanta United has played less games than anyone in the Eastern Conference. Columbus Crew has 28 games played. Atlanta has four games less played than them. They're at 24 games. Uh, the Red Bulls are only three points ahead of Atlanta, have played one more game than Atlanta. NYCFC has played two more games, but they're a good bit ahead of the standings. And Toronto is uncatchable at 56 points compared to Atlanta's 36. So Atlanta is really fighting for that third spot against Columbus, who is very catchable. Atlanta um, is only eight points behind, and they have four games up on Columbus. So it's definitely a spot they can take for the taking. Uh, behind them, a really hot Montreal is tied in points, but they've played one more game than Atlanta. So that's the team on the tail. The uh, September 24th match in Mercedes-Benz Stadium is going to be crucial for Atlanta United and the playoff race and to stay above the red line and, and the hunt for a good position come playoff time. That will be absolute key. And let's look in the Western Conference, where Seattle has really not looked dominant, but they're in first place in the West with 42 points. Uh, Portland, again, a very inconsistent team at 41. Sporting Kansas City, a defensive-minded team that cannot seem to find goals, is at 40 points. And then you have Vancouver at 38, Houston at 38, and San Jose, who I think is right now might be one of the hotter teams, one of the teams that's looking a lot better at 36 points in the last spot above the red line. Uh, Real Salt Lake is making a climb up the table. They're looking really good. They're in eighth place in the West at 35 points. I really think Real Salt Lake can make a run into the uh, playoffs late. You know, that's a team that can, under new head coaching and new philosophy, 
They're really looking more dangerous. It's a lot different from the Jason Christ days. And we also like they're playing a more attacking style. And they're pulling out wins against teams that you wouldn't think they're pulling out wins against. Uh, Minnesota. They got a win the other day. They're playing Chicago. Another embarrassment to Chicago as they're not really playing well. Uh, David Akam has not been playing his best ball for Chicago. and He's been off recently. And that showed, especially in that Minnesota game, as they got their first away victory ever for the Loons. That was um, interesting to see. And But let's jump to the UPSL as Soccer Roundtable did make a field trip to the Atlanta Silverbacks Park where they took on Low Country United of the UPSL. Atlanta Silverbacks from the MPSL. And that was a very, very interesting match. Uh, well, Low Country United at 3-1. They got a sweep on their 2017 Georgia Tour as they beat the Savannah Clovers of the um, newly UPSL Southeastern Conference 6-0. I'll remind you, Yellow Country will be late in the UPSL next season. Then they went and played Georgia Revolution and beat them 3-2. And went to Silverbacks Park and beat them 3-1. It was a pretty, they won pretty handily. They had most of the possession the entire match. Um, they got an uh, early goal and then... At the very beginning of the second half, remind you, they're playing 80-minute games because it's a friendly. They had a absolute shot from mid-pitch. They saw the keeper offline. A wonderful um, goal for Austin Savage, the former Charleston Battery player of the USL. He had a brace in this uh, friendly match. And um, after the game, we talked to Alan Bahaderi, the uh, Low Country United owner, and he said, um, you know, this was a great uh, test, a great uh, pace of play, so they can get ready for the UPSL season and see what pace of play they need to play at. Because um, really, technically, the MPSL is a little bit above the UPSL. They uh, it was a great learning experience. He said uh, he loved the way they pushed the ball at times, even though they're holding midfield kind of lapsed at times. Their back line, their front line, I mean, their back line, and their attackers played very well together, and that compensated for the uh, rest of it. But uh, you can find that entire match recap on our um, website, SoccerRoundTable.net. That was written by me, Riley uh, Molotsky. That was a, a fun article to write. Make sure you check that out and all of our other articles on SoccerRoundTable.net. Once again, make sure you're following us on Twitter at SOCCRoundTable. And the Low Country United is playing their U.S. Open Cup qualifying match. They're playing that at Emory University on September 24th at 11 o'clock against the Atlanta Mystics of the ADASL. Running the ADASL season is starting very soon in Atlanta. Uh, Georgia Revolution, their B team, will be playing in ADASL, so make sure you check that out. It'll be some fun times, some fun matches. And now um, here's your interview with, uh, with um, Murphy of... Massive report covering the Columbus crew of MLS. Enjoy the interview. All right, and we're joined by Patrick Murphy from the Massive Report, a SB Nation um, website dedicated to the Columbus crew SC. So the Columbus crew, they're sitting in third place in the Eastern Conference, but they've played more games than anyone else in the East. How do you think their uh, position is right now, and how do you think their season has been so far? Yeah, it's it, that's been the big talk around here recently. You know, going into they have this weekend off um, due to the international break, but it's uh, you know how how they really stand. Um, you know, if you break it down the points per game, I think right now they're fifth in the Eastern Conference. 
Um, but the approach of the team has kind of been, you know, we've just got to kind of take care of our business. Um, they've been fortunate these last few weeks that other teams around them, um, the Chicago Fire, New York Red Bulls, Atlanta United, have all stumbled a little bit. That's kept them, you know, going as the team's gotten some results here recently, and that's why you see them up in third. But uh, it's tough to rely on that, I think, to continue. I do think this is a playoff team. Ultimately, um, you know, I don't know if they'll finish nearly as high as where they are now in third, but I think that they have the ability to kind of stave off some of these other teams, even though they have, you know, two, three games in hand um, and, you know, eventually make the playoffs as, as maybe a four or five seed. Yeah, and you talk about Lance United. Now, they were able to jump at Lance United on the table and get a few points on them, but Lance United does have four games um, less played than Columbus does. But who do you think Columbus in the playoff race matches up? What's the worst matchup for them? Who do you think they struggle on the pitch with and who would like to avoid come playoff time? I think Atlanta United is a good one, um, you know, and it would be a, a weird scenario for them to, to meet unless it's in the knockout round uh, or in the, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the one-game play at wild card round. That's it. But, uh, you know, they played Atlanta twice this season. Um, it's gone poorly both times, both in Columbus and in Atlanta. You know, the way Atlanta plays, it just doesn't, you know, they're they're an attacking possession-style team, which is what Columbus wants to do a lot of the time. Um, so I think that would be probably the worst matchup. Another one I think that would Columbus would struggle with would be New York City FC, and for similar reasons. You know, this is a team that likes to open up, has a lot of attacking options. Columbus aren't great defensively, though they've been better in recent weeks. So, um, you know, those two teams kind of scare me if I'm a Crew SV fan. You know, they have uh, tinkered with a three-in-the-back formation over these last uh, last several weeks. So that's helped them to improve defensively. They haven't played Atlanta while using that, so maybe that could help. Um, they do face New York City here, I think, the last game of the season. So that could be uh, kind of telling as to how things are going. But, yeah, those are probably the two matchups I'd want to stay away from if I could, if I recall this. And from a MLS standpoint, from a national standpoint, this year has been kind of strange where the East has been the absolute powerhouse where they've had top three positions in the Sporter Shield right now. Yeah, yeah. And they've, you know, uh, points-wise, they really have the top-tier teams and they got the better expansion team where Minnesota's really struggling is on pace to one of the worst expansion teams ever. You know, what do you think is different about this season? Why do you think the East is so packed and it's becoming like the um, NBA's Western Conference. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, That's a good comparison. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, teams that have either made investments in the past in players and that start finally starting to work. You know, you look at Toronto, who seems to be running away with things. Obviously, they've had the combination of Sebastian Giovinco, Josie Altador, uh, Michael Bradley here for a while now. But they finally, with last year's run to the MLS Cup final, I think really put something together. Um, same with New York City, you know, a team that came in a few years ago as an expansion team. You know, we're relying on guys like Lampard and Villa, who are obvi- or Lampard and Pirlo, I'm sorry, who are obviously very good, but maybe didn't exactly fit into what they were trying to do. Now they figured it out with Villa up top. Um, he's obviously still scoring in boatloads. You know, Columbus, I think, is, is in that mix, too. You know, last year was a really down year for them. Um, they had some injuries with Federico Higuain um, that, that hurt the attack. The defense wasn't where it needed to be. So I think a lot of teams, you know, Chicago, Brandon Baskin, Schweinsteiger, uh, 
adding Dax McCarty from New York has been a good fit there. The Red Bulls have, have been able to kind of survive without McCarty. So, you know, you mentioned Atlanta being the better of the two expansion teams with kind of what they invested in with young, talented players. I think it just has to do with this finally, you know, catching up. If you look at the Western Conference, obviously the Galaxy's down. Um, you know, I didn't really buy Seattle coming into this year because I think they're a little bit, you know, over the hill with a with a handful of these players. Um, obviously, you've got some your, your Lideros, your Jordan Morris's, but you know they're the top of the West and and not a team that I don't know if anyone's all that scared of. You know, they made the run last year, uh, but it was more to me at getting hot at the right time. Portland seems to you know have have been very inconsistent throughout the year. Sporting Kansas City can't score goals. Um, you know, only only 31 on the season. So, you know, I think fi- finally the Eastern Conference's investments into players and coaches and whatnot has just kind of caught up with things, and it's happened to be in a similar year or the same year, I guess, as the Western Conference has kind of taken a step back. Um, and that's kind of how I look at it. You know, I didn't expect the East to be as good. I think I predicted Columbus to finish third in the uh, the East this year, and that was assuming, you know, Atlanta would look like a normal expansion team. Chicago would still struggle. Um, obviously, that was before the Schweinsteiger signing, but, you know, and, and there would just kind of be a mixed bag in there. So, yeah, it's been it's been interesting to kind of see this all unfold, but I guess that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, it was kind of weird that Kansas, Sporting Kansas City, how they struggled to score where they got rid of Dom Dwyer. And yeah. let's talk about uh, Dom Dwyer's new team in Orlando City. Do you think Columbus's real rival is Orlando City and if not, who do you think is? That's an interesting topic because I think it depends on who you ask for uh, for the crew. You know, obviously a team that was an original MLS franchise in 96, um, that first few years it was D.C. was the team that was kind of the thorn in their back, knocking them out of the playoffs. Then Chicago comes in. They have some, for a handful of years, they have some battles with Chicago, um, you know, both in, in Open Cup, in the league, uh, postseason, things like that. So I think Chicago became that rival for a while with, with D.C. sitting kind of secondary. And then when, um, you know, the ex- the league expanded to Toronto, that became kind of an artificial rivalry at first with the Trillium Cup um, that the league kind of formatted there. But, uh, you know, since Toronto has, has kind of built into this monster that they are now, I think it's gained some momentum because, you know, now both teams are, are winning um, they've wanted each other's places. You know, Toronto came here and won this year. They beat Columbus 5-0. So, you know, now there's there's kind of a back and forth there. Um, and Orlando, too, you mentioned that. Um, they come into the league, and there there were some nice battles there that were forming. But even a couple of years ago, it looked like maybe New England um, in 2014 when Greg Berhalter took over when they made the run to MLS Cup Final. It looked like they had a core team that could be battling with Columbus in the Eastern Conference for a while. So, I think because there's no natural geographical rival for Columbus, um, and, you know, I say that with uh, the possibility of an FC Cincinnati coming to the league here at some point, but um, since that hasn't happened yet, I think it kind of depends, you know, where they are in the standings and, and who's kind of around to, to kind of be a thorn in their side. Um, you know, it, it it doesn't just work out like it does with maybe the New York teams or the L- the California teams, the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, if I picked a team that I probably think, just from talking to the guys and my experience with the team, I'd still say that Chicago is probably the one that, that people get up for the most. But I really think from a fan perspective, it probably depends, you know, when you became a fan and, and who you hate the most from that time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think there is one true rival for this team right now just because of how the league kind of shaped out. 
and I talked to the president of the Ruckus, the Orlando City Supporters Group, and he actually said their biggest rival was not Atlanta, it was Columbus. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I can certainly see, you know, since Orlando's come in the league, um, you know, there were there have been some controversial calls in games between the two teams. I think that, uh, you know, it's been it's been back and forth in terms of results. You know, I think that from an Orlando perspective, I could see, you know, especially this year, they've, you know, they beat Orlando early in the season when Orlando was undefeated. They did that at Moscow Stadium. Then they go down to Orlando a couple weeks ago, get a result. So, you know, if, if there's a team that's kind of, you know, irritated Orlando fans, I assume Columbus is right there. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see as, as you know, more histories formed between them and Atlanta, how uh, how that plays out. But, you know, like I said, I don't think that, you know, MLS rivalries necessarily have to be geographical. I think, you know, over time they can kind of form, you know, just from from playoff matchups, from games where certain calls go one team's way and, and things like that, you know. The fans really kind of dictate those rivalries a lot of the times just because of the back and forth that can happen there, especially with social media. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, the league is, is continuing to progress and we'll see rivalries kind of ebb and flow as, as teams are good and teams are bad. Yeah, I like they put out SC Cincinnati since they did knock out the crew out of the Open Cup. Yep. And they are a very viable candidate for expansion size. But so the crew had a very, very productive transfer window, and some would say they had the best transfer window. Who do you think has been the biggest addition for Columbus in this year's transfer window? Yeah, um, it's got to be Pedro Santos, a Portuguese winger they brought in. Um, he's played in three games now, started the last two, and uh, really looks like a guy who can be a playmaker for this team. You know, they haven't had a ton of production from that right wing in a couple of years now. Ethan Finley was obviously the guy in 2014 and 2015, but uh, last year still had a productive season. I think he was right around six goals, nine assists, which is which is good for an MLS winger. But he showed in in 2014 and 2015 that he could do a lot more. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, some people blame it on he goes to the national team and gets on the field, scores in Columbus goals, called offside, and maybe that got into his head. Um, you know, some other people talk about maybe it's, you know, the fact that Kai Kamara wasn't around anymore and he drove so much attention that it freed Ethan Finley up. You know, I'm not really sure, and having talked to Ethan quite a bit, um, I don't know what that was, but they needed that production from the right wing. They were getting it from Justin Merrim on the left, Federico Iguay in the middle when he's been healthy, and Ola Kamara up top. And it was just kind of that right wing that was, was lagging. Um, and Pedro Santos seems to be that guy. In his first start, he gets an assist. Um, you know, just looked good combining with teammates despite the fact that he, you know, hasn't trained with them all that much. Um, so he looks like a guy that will fit in, you know, a, a creative player, guy who likes to dribble, likes to take shots. Um, you know, Greg Berhalter likes these attacking guys, and I think that he, he fits into what they want to do here in Columbus. Yep. And now for Columbus to have a successful playoff run and to go to have a successful season, what do you think is the – what do you think is the weakest point in Columbus's game, and what area do you think they need to improve on to have a, a good playoff run? Yeah, I, I think if you'd asked me this a few weeks ago, I certainly would have gone to to the back line. Um, you know, that's been a struggle, not only this year but last year. Even you know, in 2015 when they made the run to MLS Cup, they still gave up quite a few goals. Um, they were just able to score you know a lot on the other end, and they kind of like to use possession as defense. But the problem's been when they've turned the ball over you know, teams coming back on the counterattack um, has really cost them. But recently, especially when they've played with three in the back, they've been really good defensively. Um, even the last two games when they went back to four in the back with, with 
the addition of, of Santos starting, um, you know, it's it's looked better. Now they did that against LA, who was down to ten men um, pretty early in that game, and then Dallas this past weekend, who both teams were coming off three games in in eight days, and Dallas had to travel from from Texas up to Columbus. So we're still, you know, iffy on the defense, and I'd say that's probably the biggest hole. Um, you know. They also need to make sure they're healthy because when a guy like Federico Iguain's on the field, they're a very different team. Um, the same can be said for Arthur, who's a Brazilian central midfielder, a young Brazilian central midfielder that they have on loan from Sao Paulo. You know, he's kind of been that destroyer in the center of the field. And when those two are in there, I think this is a really good team that could actually make a pretty pretty good run in the playoffs. Um, you know, but when you miss one or both of those guys, you can you can tell, and it. it takes a toll, um, and it, it helps defensively when those guys are on the field. Archer breaks things up, and Iguain helps in that possession game that, uh, you know, lets them create and kind of keep the ball in the attacking half of the field so they don't have to worry as much defensively. Yeah, and health, health is definitely the key to um, success and winning. Now, let's talk, sure. about the, let's talk about the Columbus atmosphere, and, you know, when you think of best atmospheres in MLS, you go to your Portland or Seattle's Maybe your NYCFC or Atlanta has come out into that form, and a few other teams. You know, Columbus is not the first one that you would name off the top of your head. But what do you think makes Columbus's atmosphere unique? What separates it from other cities? And you know, how do you think it can grow? Do you think it's static and it'll stay where it is? Or do you think there's potential in the uh, Columbus market for a successful atmosphere? And yeah, that's actually yeah, that's been a, a topic lately because. This year, the attendance has, has dropped quite a bit, um, and the teams actually, I think, still last in average attendance behind Dallas. So there's been a lot of talk about, you know, kind of getting these fans back here, what they need to do, stuff like that. Um, you know, the atmosphere in the stadium when, when they do get a good crowd is good. I won't say it's great, you know, in comparison to some of those other ones that you mentioned, but, uh, you know, it's it's certainly one that can get the team going. Um, I think the most unique thing with uh, with coming to Mafre Stadium is the the history behind it. Um, obviously, it was the first soccer-specific stadium, first professional soccer-specific stadium. Um, you know, there's been the U.S. men's national team games here, specifically the, the Dos Cero games against Mexico. So it, it holds a special place in, in U.S. soccer history, MLS history, um, heart. I think that that's unique about it. It's got kind of an old-school stadium feel still, with uh, which is different than I think a lot of these stadiums at least the ones that I've been to, um, you know, the new, the newer uh, cyber-specific stadiums. So that's that's a neat thing. Um, in terms of the culture in the city, they've really latched on to the kind of German heritage, um, you know, the the Columbus that Columbus has. They've gone with like a lot of craft beers, which is the big thing here at the stadium, things like that. So you know, it's it's a cool experience at the stadium. Um, you know, they've there's talk about building a new one here in the not-so-distant future. Um, we'll see what, what comes of that because the stadium's not in the best location in terms of getting fans in and out and, you know, picking up the casual fans on any given day. So so there's talk about trying to do something like that. But, you know, I think that right now at least what makes Columbus unique with this, with this team is is kind of the culture and the history behind Mafre Stadium, which, you know, opened in 1999 and, and you know, kind of has built that history that maybe a lot of other MLS stadiums don't really have. Yeah, and that's definitely unique, the history behind it. And like you said, the location is key. I know I'm 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 located in Atlanta, and Atlanta the Braves 
they moved to Cobb County because the location there and there's nothing to do around the ballpark. Right. And that was one thing they wanted to emphasize is, you know, stay out and do other things on the ballpark, go to a restaurant, go to a bar, whatever, you know, hang out with other people after the game, before the game. Yep. And that's something, if Columbus can do that right, they can be very successful. Absolutely. The other thing, yeah. also Atlanta has, you know, took this thing and it's really created a new trend. And that's not really soccer-specific stadiums. It's stadiums with soccer in mind, mm-hmm. i.e., Mercedes-Benz Stadium, home of the Falcons, home of Atlanta United. It's, you know, really unlike other Soldier Field where, where, you know, um, Chicago used to play. It wasn't really built for soccer. It it worked, but Mercedes-Benz is going to have elements that will allow Atlanta United for Furish, sorry, a bad pronunciation, but, you know, do well, and the field will complement all FIFA's rules so they can host the World Cup and whatnot. Do you think that has a new place in America where football is, you know, king and it rules? Or do you think soccer Pacific stadiums are still what MLS wants to strive for in this day and age? I think that you can kind of find a balance. Um, you know, I think we've seen success in, you know, Atlanta this year, but going back even, you know, Seattle, obviously they've, um, you know, done some great things out there with uh, with using the Seahawks stadium. Um, you know, obviously with that, the turf is not something you'd ideally like, but being in the Pacific Northwest, it's probably the best case scenario for them. Um, you know, I think I think you still want to have soccer-specific stadiums in cities where it works. You know, obviously having Arthur Blank as the owner of both teams, it made it easy to to use Mercedes-Benz, similar to what they've got in New England using Gillette Stadium. Um, you know, but I think there is something to say about having your own stadium where you're not having to worry about, you know, conflicts with other games, other, you know, teams from other leagues and things like that. But, you know, if if you can make it work like they have in Seattle, like I think they're going to um, in Atlanta, I think it's 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 a cool idea. Obviously, that way you can get more fans in there. These NFL stadiums are much bigger than the typical soccer-specific stadium. Um, plus, I think it's something that people, you know, are going to want to go see, especially Mercedes-Benz, a brand-new stadium that's opening Maybe these people can't, you know, afford to go to a uh, Atlanta Falcons game or just aren't football fans. But the unique experience of, of taking in that stadium, which from everything I've heard is going to be pretty awesome, is something they may want to do, and, and MLS may provide that opportunity. Yeah, and there's lots of talk people that want to do that, actually. As ticket prices in the NFL are absolutely yeah. insane. You know, Columbus, though, they can't really take advantage of that with no real professional team in Columbus, unless they wanted to, you know, hook up with a baseball team, which is definitely not ideal, not something that MLS wants to see. An NYCFC situation is not right. what the uh, fans want, or a Nashville SC, which just came out. They're playing in a minor league baseball stadium for their first season, so that's definitely not ideal. But, yeah, one more topic for the crew. So, um, Columbus, what do you think is a successful 2017, you know, what do they mark you hit in either points or, you know, a distance in the playoffs the crew can make to make 2017 a uh, successful uh, season? Yeah, I think that for sure they need to make the playoffs. Um, after the disappointment of last year, and it was one of the worst seasons in team history, and there are a variety of reasons that you can, or maybe some people would look at them as excuses you can give for that, but, you know, this was supposed to be a year where they turned things around, got back to the how they played the first two years under Greg Berhalter when, you know, they made the postseason 2014, made a run to MLS Cup final in 2015. So 
making the postseason is key. Um, I think that's going to take, you mentioned a point total, I think that's going to take anywhere from, from 50 to 55 points to to make sure that you're in it. You know, Columbus plays the last two games of the season um, on the road, so getting to that point and being right around that 50-ish point mark would probably be um, a good way to, to kind of feel comfortable in those final two games away from home. And once they get in the playoffs, you know, it's, it's, in MLS it's so tough to to say what would be a, you know, a realistic goal because we've seen top teams get knocked off by hot teams. You know, if Toronto, for instance, is got the supporter shield locked up with a couple weeks to go, they start to rest some of their main guys. Okay, guys come back a little rusty. All of a sudden they've got a game on their hand or a series on their hands that they didn't expect to have. So, um, you know, I think Columbus is in a good spot because they need points, which means they're going to need to keep winning, need to keep putting the, the, you know, starting lineup, ideal starting lineup out on the field. And uh, that can carry into the playoffs, carry that momentum. Um, you know, I, I think it would be disappointing if they go in um, and lose in the first wild card round, um, especially if they're able to host one of those games. So, you know, I'll say probably getting to the knockout rounds at the, at the very least would be, would help make, you know, a, a, at least for perception's sake, a success, successful season. Yeah, that's a great point. Coming in hot at the right time is really the key in any playoff, in any sport. Well, I really appreciate your time. Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you guys can find me at uh, Patrick Murphy, or sorry, what's my Twitter account here? At underscore Pat underscore Murphy. It's a, it's a weird one because it's a pretty common name. But, uh, yeah, I'm on there. And then the website, Massive Report, just at Massive Report. Um, we've got a bunch of good writers. We do we, we do a pretty good job, I think, in my unbiased opinion. Yep, we really enjoy your content at Massive Report and the Massive Report uh, podcast is awesome yeah. as well. All right, well, good luck to the crew and see you next time. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you.